Amen. Amen. Wow, what a powerful worship experience. We appreciate our band so much. We raise a hallelujah. Several uh, weeks after COVID actually hit our community and shut everything down, I was craving something that was normal, and I knew that many of the restaurants were doing takeout or drive-ups or whatever. And so I drove over to my favorite restaurant for lunch, and to my disappointment, the restaurant was shut down. I mean, I was so disappointed. My, my little taste buds were salivating for, for that particular food. And then I thought, well, now I've got to really hurry to get back to the office, so I just need to eat something quickly. I'll go to Chick-fil-A. And I drove to Chick-fil-A, and I had a totally different experience. Chick-fil-A was absolutely not shut down. It was covered with people. They had added a second line to the drive-up. They had all the high school kids that usually take my order behind the counters. They were all in the parking lot. They had the iPads, the headsets, the masks. They had little, the little coin things on their belt where they could give people change. They, they, they had the ability to take credit cards out there in the parking lot wirelessly. They, they were so ready for all of their customers. And, and I, I thought, what a stark contrast between one restaurant and another. One had embraced the challenge and adversity of the pandemic, and the other had not. I think that's a powerful picture of how we as individuals look at the challenges that are before us. Today I want to talk to you about your perspective, because your perspective, your mindset about the adversity that you're facing has everything to do with the way that you take on the challenges that are right there before you. Uh, as we look at 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, um, the scripture does not talk about a pandemic, but it does talk about a siege. There's a massive siege in Samaria. The king of Aram, which is modern day Syria, has, has come down and the people of God are cut off from from any supplies or any food. Things are absolutely desperate. I mean, they are the worst of the worst of the worst in terms of conditions and circumstances. And in this powerful story, we see four different mindsets. We see four different perspectives about adversity. Three of them are great, and one of them we should run from. And I want you to write these four things down. They're the four isms of adversity, if you will. And the first one is found right there in those early verses of 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, um, where the Bible says, Sometime later, King Ben-Hadon of Aram brought all his military units together and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. And so there was a severe famine in Samaria, and they continued the siege against it until a donkey's head sold for 34 ounces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for two ounces of silver. Now, <clears throat> chapter 6 just gives us the background. And the Israelite people considered donkeys to be unclean animals. And the head was the worst part of the donkey. So what the writer of 2 Kings is saying is basically things are really, really bad. If, if the donkey head costs this much money, then, then it's bad. 
And if people are eating the dung of a dove, oh my goodness, is there anything more disgusting than that? Some of us would probably rather die than to eat dove dung. But people were even selling that in the market because things were absolutely desperate. But I want you to see the prophet, the prophet Elisha, the man of God, he has a spirit of number one, optimism. Optimism. And optimism says, let's see what God is going to do. What is God going to do? This is what the prophet saw. Now the prophet saw it before anybody else did. And Elisha has been the biblical character we've been looking at over the last few months. And Elisha is a man of God. He performs more miracles in the Old Testament than any other character. He is a walking miracle. He raises a dead boy. He makes an axe head float. He's constantly helping people who are in need. Elisha is an amazing character. Everywhere he goes, people have breakthroughs to the power of God. So this situation is nothing different. But let's see how he responds. If you look at chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. And about this time tomorrow at Samaria's gate, six quarts of fine flour will sell for half an ounce of silver, and twelve quarts of barley will sell for half an ounce of silver. Elisha is saying that things in Samaria are about to go from terrible to really good in 24 hours. And you know what? Nobody believes it. Sometimes we're in the middle of a circumstance and things have been so bad for so long, we actually can't even believe that things would be different. So Elisha brings this word from God and he just says, hey, listen guys, hang in there. Within 24 hours, our entire situation is going to turn around 180 degrees. Elisha saw something. He had a mindset. And his mindset said, even though things are difficult, I am optimistic because I believe in the power of God. No matter what you're going through today, never give up hope in the Lord. No matter how bad things may be. You may be eating the donkey head or the dung of the dove. But with God, all things are possible. And we should have a great spirit of optimism in our own heart, and in our own expectation. And we make a choice every day, what mindset am I going to live by? But to, to develop a godly mindset, you have to be able to let what you know sometimes be in conflict with how you feel. For most people, how we feel, our feelings drive our decisions. Elisha exposes us to something that is more profound. Because when the Word of God says something the opposite of what we feel, when the Word of God says something that is in direct opposition to everything we see around us, we have to go with God. So you may feel fearful, but today you're reminded that God is always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. When you feel lonely, you know that God is always there. When you don't think there is a way, God says, I will make a highway in the middle of a desert. 
When we feel like we're all alone, we have to remember if God's for us, who can be against us? We should have a great spirit of optimism. And when your mindset is bent on the things of God and the Word of God, then we'll begin to have this spirit that the prophet begins to talk about. Optimism. Are you an optimist in the middle of adversity? We ought to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, things are so bad, I can't wait to see what God's going to do because it's just going to have to be miraculous to get me out of this situation. So Elisha's calm, and Elisha sees something that no one else sees. He sees and hears the word of the Lord. We need more of the word of God in our own lives, amen? That's why I love to wake up in the morning and to spend a little time reading the Word of God, because I need God's Word for my life that day. And there's never a day that goes by that we don't need the Word of God in our own life. And so Elisha speaks the Word of God, and nobody really believes him, (laughs) but Elisha saw something. And man, in the middle of adversity, I want you to see something. I want you to see a Word from God. I want you to hear His voice. I want you to feel His empowerment. I want you to feel His divine strength. And when you do so, your spirit will be bent towards optimism. But you know, not everybody is optimistic when there's adversity. A lot of people become skeptical and cynical. And this is what the captain and the king saw. They were the skeptics. There was optimism with Elisha. There was skepticism with the king. Now, it's crazy to me, but in 2 Kings, Joram, the king, hates the prophet Elisha. You would think that the king would love Elisha, because Elisha is always doing miraculous things and taking care of people. But Joram was a guy that knew about God, but he didn't know God. He was kind of religiously orientated, if you will. But his heart had not been transformed. He didn't really know God, so to speak. And so he tries to take the prophet's life. If you look earlier in the sixth chapter of 2 Kings, I mean, if you can just imagine, the guy that's bailing everybody out, the king wants to kill him. It's pretty amazing. But he's a total skeptic. He's a skeptic. And this is what the captain says, who's the right-hand man of the king. And we find this echoed later in chapter 7, but I want you to see it in verse 2. Then the captain... The king's right-hand man responded to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? In other words, Elisha, you're crazy, man. You are crazy. There is no way we're going to have food. There's no way the siege is going to end in 24 hours. God is not capable. I'm cynical. I'm skeptical. I believe that God can do absolutely nothing. Do you see that mindset? One mindset is bent towards God's going to do something great. I don't understand it all. I don't know it all. But God is at work. Another mind, looking at the same situation, says God can't do anything. Is it not amazing That people can be looking at the same adversity and have totally different outcomes. People can think totally different things and they're looking at the same scenario. Elisha's like, God's going to do something amazing. The king and his captain are like, 
God can't do anything, we're all going to die. Now let's see where this leads them. Because, because a little bit later, what Elisha says comes to fruition, and the king doesn't even believe it. I mean, sometimes we have heard bad news for so long that when good news comes, we can't even receive it into our own spirit because our mindset has been shrunk. And this is what began to happen with the king. They go to him and they say, hey, listen, the army has fled. And the king says, uh, no, it's a trick. It's, it's almost like he's quoting the book of Joshua at the battle of Ai when the Israelites run up to the city, uh, city gates and they say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, and they run off. And then all of the soldiers at the city of Ai chase them. And then another battalion um, of Israelites comes from behind the city and comes in the city gates and burns the city down. It's a trick. <clears throat> King Joram says, it's a trick. Don't believe it. We're going to starve to death. God has not delivered. God can't do anything. All we can do is eat the donkey head and the dove dung and hope for the best. Oh, no, 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 no. God is at work. One of the officers finally had the good sense to reason with the king, and he said, listen, let's just send a few scouts to go check this report out to see if it is valid. And thank goodness he did. Because the king got so used to living under a siege, he forgot what it was like to live under freedom. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to that. You know, during the uh, pandemic, the hellers have become bird watchers. Yes, maybe you've picked up some new hobbies or interests over the last few months. And for us, it has been bird watching. If you're a bird in southeast Aurora, you know about my backyard because it is filled with bird feeders. Different types of bird feeders, big, large, small. Some feed this bird, some feed that bird. But if you have a bird feeder, you know that Many times, birds will fight each other for the bird seed. And we've had the big birds have been picking on the little birds, and we feel bad for the little birds, so we got some little bird feeders and all that. But in addition to the birds fighting each other, sometimes there's another ne arch nemesis, and it's the squirrels. And squirrels actually will eat all of the bird seed. And you know, the other day, we were in the house, and we heard all of this ruckus in the backyard. The birds were squawking like crazy, and the uh, bird feeder was um, clicking. And I walked outside, and I found my bird feeder, which Gina had hung in a very strategic place on a tree where the squirrels were not going to be able to get it. And I looked up, and there was a, there was a big, fat squirrel and his body was contorted, and he was reaching, and he was clicking this little lever over and over and over again, and it sounded like this. And he had figured this thing out. It, it, it actually is supposed to be squirrel-proof, because squirrels generally hold the lever down when they try to get the food, but he had figured out, oh, if I just keep clicking it, the food will keep falling out. And this... Bird feeders designed for the bird to land here and to eat, and then as that, that portion of food eats, it replenishes and stuff settles down and all that. Well, the birds were upset about it. They felt like they were getting ripped off, and they were so upset. 
And so they were dive-bombing the squirrel. And I came out into the backyard, and the squirrel got very, very still, like trying to hide. He had his, one of his hind legs on a small branch. He had another hind leg on a tiny twig. He had one of his arms on another small branch, and then his fourth limb was extended, grabbing the food, and he was shoving as much of it in his mouth as he could. You know, I, I was looking at that just laughing. I, I got such a kick out of that because, because a lot of times I think that what we see in this experience with the bird feeder is kind of a picture of our own spiritual life. We think about the devil as a serpent, but I, I want to submit to you today that I think that the devil is also a squirrel. And he's trying to steal the spiritual food that gives you the Word of God for your life. Because if He can take away from you what feeds you and gives you spiritual nourishment, you will not have the spirit of confidence in God. You will live a life of cynicism and skepticism. But when we feed on the Word of God, when we feed on that divine seed that comes from God, we have so much confidence, we have so much vitality, we have so much strength that we can do everything that God has purposed for us to do. Let's don't let the devil steal the seed in our life. Let's let that seed grow and mature and become all that God has purposed for it to become. You see, when he robs us, we begin to think like this. I, I can't give because I won't have enough. Cynicism, skepticism. I can't change because I've always been this way. Skepticism. I can't stop worrying because that's just who I am. Skepticism, cynicism. But the spirit of optimism says, God is about to do something great in my life. So we see a couple of viewpoints. The viewpoint of the prophet is, God can do anything. God's going to rescue the city. The perspective of the king, we're all going to die. God is incapable. But there's a third group of people. And I love these guys. I call them the Fantastic Four. Look right there in uh, the following verses, verse 5 to 8. So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Aramaeans' camp. And when they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramaean camp to hear the sound of chariots horses, and a large army. And the Aramaeans had said to each other, the king of Israel must have hired the king of the Hittites and the kings of, the, of Egypt to attack us. So they've gotten up and they fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys, and the camp was intact, and they had fled for their lives. This is a divine miracle. Now, first of all, who were the people that made this discovery? When you read the story, there's four lepers. We don't know their names, but they hung out on the perimeter just outside the city walls. And in the ancient world, if you had leprosy, you could not live within the city because of the contagious nature of leprosy. And so people oftentimes would form little leper camps outside the city, and the family members would bring food and drop it off for their, for their loved ones who had contracted this deadly illness and they were basically waiting to die. And these three lepers came to the conclusion, hey, 
we got three choices, man. We can stay here and starve to death, which we're already doing. We could go back into the city and they might let us in, but we're going to starve to death there and they don't have any more food in there than we do out here. Or we could do something else. We could just go before the people from Syria, from Aram, and we can just fall on the mercy and grace of our oppressors. And maybe they'll look at us and see we're lepers, and they'll feel sorry for us, and they'll just give us some food, and maybe we can figure out some way to stay alive. When they looked at all three options, none of them looked good, but the one that was best was the one that led them to go check out the camp. So they waited till evening. They snuck into the camp. Maybe they were going to steal something. Maybe they were hoping that one sympathetic soldier would just throw them a loaf of bread. But what they discovered was something that was unspeakable. It was amazing. The opposing forces had run off. And the Scripture gives us a little insight into this. As I just read it here in verses 6 and 7, it just says that they heard a sound... They heard the sounds that made them think that opposing kings had joined with the forces at Samaria to defeat them. And they were so afraid that they ran off and they didn't even take their stuff with them. I mean, they had enough food for an army. They had tents. They had gold. They had clothes. They had wine. They had all of the setup that you would need to have a plush life. And the lepers are out there and they're like, living life large, man. They're eating the best meal of their life. They are enjoying life. Life is great and wonderful. They're putting on the new clothes and the gold and all. They got it going on. But then they realize, you know what? We're out here living this, this wonderful life, enjoying all this food and drink and all these possessions, but there's a city full of people who are dying. And when you look a little further there at verse 9, it says, Then they said to each other, We're not doing what is right. Today is the day of good news. And if we are silent and wait until morning light, our punishment will catch up with us. So let's go and tell the king's household. They had some great news. They felt a mandate. They felt an urgency. We, we can't even wait to the next day, we, we got to go tell the king right now. Because if we don't, more people are going to die. And that leads us to our third perspective, which is this perspective of evangelism. Optimism, skepticism, evangelism. The, the lepers go into the mode of spreading the good news. They go back and announce to the city what they have discovered And they begin to tell good news. That's what evangelism is spreading good news. And I got a word for you today. God has given you the greatest news of all. The greatest news of all is not that the opposing armies have fled. The greatest news of all is that Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose again on the third day. That is good news. And you and I have a great mandate, a great responsibility, a great obligation, a great opportunity to share the good news. We should not delay. If God would give us the urgency of these lepers, 
Think about how our families and our communities would be transformed. It would be different. And you know, when there's a, a, a pandemic, when there's adversity, when there is hardship, when there is difficulty, we have the greatest opportunity of all to bring good news. How many of you know good news becomes really, really good when all the other news is bad? We want the light of the gospel to shine. We're going to be reopening our physical campus here at Edge Church. Our church has always been open, but I'm talking about physical worship services. What, what a great opportunity that we have to spread the good news. God's put somebody on your heart that needs to join you at Edge Church. And we ought to take every opportunity before us to invite them, to bring them, to compel them, to come and hear the greatest message, the greatest news of all. And the gospel is so good because so much of the news around us is so bad. And these lepers saw it. So they had the perspective of evangelism, the king's skepticism, the prophet optimism, the lepers' evangelism. We got to tell people. But here's the fourth thing. What did the people see? The people saw favoritism. They saw God's provision for His people. God has always had a unique relationship with His own people. In the Old Covenant, it's the Israelites. For us today, it's the church. It's all those that are in Christ. 2 Kings 7.16 says, Then the people went out and plundered the Aramean camp. It was then that six quarts of fine flour sold for half an ounce of silver and 12 quarts of barley sold for half an ounce of silver according to the word of the Lord. Now that was prophesied in the earlier verses from the prophet Elisha. So basically what the Bible is saying is, listen, everything that Elisha said was going to happen, it just took place. There was a fast turnaround. Remember the captain said, this is not possible. I mean, in 24 hours we're going to have an abundance of food? But with God, all things are possible. And the people begin to see the favor of God. They should have died. They should have starved. But God intervened. And God showed His favor on His people. God's favor is not just prosperity. God's favor is having the hand of God on your life. You, you, you can be a poor person and have the favor of God. You can be a wealthy person and have the favor of God. It just means God's hand is on your life. If you're in Christ, you have the hand of God. You have something that money cannot even touch. Favoritism. Joseph in the Old Testament was a man that lived with great favor. Abraham, tons of favor. Guess what? The Holy Spirit resides within you. You have divine favor from God. And we ought to walk in favoritism. Years ago, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to Eastern Europe. My friend had a ministry that he ran that led him to go to um, the Ukraine and Russia four or five times a year. So he had all these, these massive miles. And... He invited me to go the first time. Me, him and I went together. 
And uh, I was so thrilled because we got bumped up to first class all the way from Dallas-Fort Worth to Frankfurt, Germany. It was like the Lufanza gods had spoken. It was, it, was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. I mean, and, and if you ever have, have, have ridden in first class, you know it basically ruins you about ever riding in coach uh, and feeling good about that ever again. Hot fudge Sundays, the big fat seats. This was years ago. We had the televisions. We had constant service. Any food or drink you want was immediately brought to you. Um, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a great experience. It was amazing. And I was so disappointed because on the way back, I said to my friend David, I said, listen, can you get us bumped up again? And he said, I'll try. And they denied the, denied the request. But, but I was so thankful for at least one first class experience. And then I realized, as I thought about it, I didn't do anything to deserve to ride in first class. I didn't have the points. And I hadn't spent the money. The only thing I had going for me is that I was traveling with somebody who had. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. You have divine favor, not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of who Christ is. It is because of who you are traveling with that you have the divine favor of God. You have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. And we ought to let favor begin to transform our mindset? What if we begin to be more favor-minded? Favor-minded means that you have hope. God always has a plan. Favor-minded, God's going to give me strength when I'm tired. I'm favor-minded. I have an expectation. God's going to do something. I'm favor-minded. I'm favor-minded. I have confidence that God's not going to abandon me or leave me. God's working all things together for my good. Are you walking in the divine favor of God? Well, in this story, we see these four perspectives. Favoritism. That's what the people experienced when they went out and they got the food. Uh, They went out and they plundered the Aramaic camp. Evangelism. Let's spread the good news. Look what we found. That's the lepers. Optimism. The prophet Elisha. God's going to come through. Skepticism, God can't do a darn thing. That's the captain and the king. The question is, which of these mindsets, which of these thought patterns is going to dominate your life? How are you going to think? How are you going to look at your circumstances? What do you see? Do you see what others do not because of the power and the presence of God in your life? Do you create another drive-up lane, like Chick-fil-A, or do you close the shop down? What are you going to do? Are we going to live in optimism or skepticism? Let's determine to set our mind on the things of God. Would you pray with me for a moment? Let's bow our hearts and our heads, and if you would like for me to pray for you for just a moment, for God to shape your thoughts, and to help you to see what others may not, and maybe things you've never seen before, would you, would you just raise your hand right where you're seated, wherever you are today, maybe in your living room or in a friend's house or just some other place? 
Just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. God, would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see what we have never seen so we can be what we have never been before and we can do what you have called us and purposed us to do? Would you do it today, Lord? Would you open our eyes? God, help us to see in the spiritual realm, not just in the physical. Help us to see the things that you have for us. Let us not live under a siege so long that we lose hope and we lose heart. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, amen. And Today, if you've never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, today is your day. What a great opportunity. See, spiritual favor begins by having Christ in your life. Would you open your heart to him? Would you do it right now? I want to lead you in a word of prayer. And in this prayer, you'll be saying, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life to forgive my sins, and to make me a brand new person. Would you do that? Let's bow our hearts and our heads for just a moment and reach out in faith today if you want to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins and make me a brand new person. Forgive my sins and make me a brand new person as I'm putting my faith in Jesus and what he did at the cross and resurrection. And now, Lord, thank you for saving me and making me new. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. And if you just prayed with me to ask Christ to come into your life, would you put it in the chat right now? Would you do it? Just put in the chat, I prayed with Pastor Ryan, and we want to send you some materials that are going to strengthen your faith and build you up in your spiritual life and help you develop that mindset that we talked about today. God bless you. And I really believe the greatest days of your life are the days to come.